0: church of christ presents more hope the sermon by the reverend Jean randall bodman presented on sunday november 27 2022. this advent we are turning our attention away from the usual apocalyptic readings that the lectionary offers at this time of year we're going to slow down and focus on the nativity stories in the gospels and in particular on the messengers sent from god to human beings We all know the story of Christmas. It starts with an angel appearing to Mary, the young couple and their donkey, making the trek from Nazareth in the north to the town of Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem. Shepherds being serenaded by an angel choir that may or may not have sung in front of a giant star, and the star that was there to guide the three magi who came from the Far East. We tell this one story year after year We send it to to one another on images on Christmas cards. We recreate it with nativity figurines in our houses. It's a good story. And it carries an essential mystery and truth of our faith, the incarnation, the coming into flesh of God. But when we tell the one story, we hide from ourselves the truth that Matthew and Luke tell two related overlapping, but quite different stories. We allow ourselves to forget that not only do Matthew and Luke tell different stories, but they're the only Gospels that have any mention of Jesus's birth. Mark and John don't have any details about Jesus's birth, nor does Paul, whose authentic letters are the earliest writings we have in the New Testament. I've been at this quite a while, And yet, every year, I have to remind myself which parts of the Christmas tradition come from which gospel. They get twined in my mind, just like everyone else's. Years ago, in another congregation, we once presented a children's pageant called Matt and Lucy's Virgin Births. It was a play within a play. There were two directors, Matt and Lucy, And they were putting on a pageant together, but each one of them had a a pageant, a script, based on only one of the gospels. And a lovely, chaotic confusion ensues when each director realizes they have characters and lines that are nowhere in the other one's script. Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan use the same framework of a Christmas pageant to highlight the differences when they wrote about them in their book, The First Christmas. Matthew's pageant, which if you leave out the genealogy is based on a mere 31 verses, unfolds in six scenes. Goes like this. Scene one, Mary is found to be with child of the Holy Spirit and an angel of the Lord appears to her fiance Joseph in a dream to give him directions on how to handle this dilemma of having a pregnant fiancé with whom he has not yet lived. That's a dilemma. Scene two, wise men from the east follow a star and accidentally tip off Herod when they stop in at his palace to ask for directions they shouldn't need because they're following a star. (laughs) Scene three, the wise men, the magi, offer their gifts and homage to the newborn baby. The birth is not described. It's a half a sentence throwaway. Jesus was born. Scene four, Joseph takes his family and flees into Egypt to escape Herod's plot. Because having been tipped off that a new king of the Jews was expected, Herod plotted to kill all the boys under a certain age. If that reminds you of another ruler who determined to kill all the male babies when their people seemed to be threatening his power, that's on purpose. Just as Pharaoh plotted and the infant Moses survived, Herod plotted, and the infant Jesus survived. Scene five, Herod, unaware that the Holy Family is safely off and away, slaughters the innocents anyway. Scene six, the little family returns from Egypt and moves to Nazareth. Note that they moved to Nazareth because they had been living all the time in Bethlehem. They didn't have to journey there, that's where they lived. They went back to Nazareth, as Matthew tells us, to fulfill the prophecy, but also because they had heard that Herod's son had inherited the throne, and he was even worse than his father. So they came back to the country, but moved north, out of the area of Jerusalem. So think about what's missing. There is no census, no journey to Bethlehem, they come back from, uh, okay, that is all that That is all that Matthew has to say about Jesus' arrival and youth. As I said, no census, no journey, no shepherds, no angels in the sky. There's a lot that we think is there that isn't in Matthew. The next time we see Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he's 30 years old and embarking on his adult ministry. The whole story seems oddly focused on connecting Jesus to Moses. There are lots of echoes and on non-Jews recognizing Jesus, on Joseph's experience, and on Herod and his power. There's a lot about Herod in that story. Luke's pageant would have far too many scenes to list everyone. It's about four times as long as Matthew's. But the general flow would go something like this. We start not with Jesus, but with the miraculous spirit-filled arrival of John the Baptist. The story that we heard Kathy read for us. A complicated story of an aging priest, Zechariah, his barren wife, an annunciation to him in the temple, the fulfillment of the angel's announcement, the naming of the boy, and the hymn of praise that Zechariah pronounces once he gets his voice back. A couple of things to notice. The promised son will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. He's destined to change the world with his teaching, opening the way, and making ready a people for the one coming after him. These are the roles of someone filled with the Spirit. Interwoven with the story of John's birth is the Annunciation to Mary and the conception of Jesus. Followed swiftly by Mary's visit to Elizabeth, Elizabeth who is also filled with the Holy Spirit the moment she hears Mary's greeting. She recognizes the uniqueness of Mary's pregnancy. And Mary responds with her famous song of praise, the Magnificat, because Mary is also filled with the Spirit. Then the beloved heart of the story, which we think of as the Christmas story the journey to Bethlehem and the birth in the stable, the announcement to the shepherds, their visit to the new family, and their return, glorifying God, with an emphasis on glory and light and the way the Spirit shines forward to the people. But Luke doesn't stop there, he goes on. He goes on to tell the story of the circumcision and naming of the infant Jesus, of his presentation in the temple when he's 40 days old, and the blessing he received there from Simeon and Anna, the prophets. And finally, a pageant based on Luke might even include the story of 12-year-old Jesus amazing the teachers in the temple with his wisdom. Even as I read them over again and as I work with them, they blend in my mind, and I have trouble pulling them apart in my imagination and in my heart because these two stories woven together have informed my spiritual life my whole life long. But it is important to realize that these are two distinct stories written by the authors and added to the front of their gospels for a reason. Each serves as an overture to the gospel that follows it in the same way that a musical overture might highlight the themes of the work that you are about to listen to The birth stories carry the whole gospel in miniature. They set up the gospel that will follow, and they are subversive stories, each in their own way. In Matthew, we find that theme of Jesus as the new Moses, the fulfillment of prophecy, and the true King of the Jews. King of the Jews was, of course, Herod the Great's title But Matthew's story tells us Herod was more like Pharaoh, the lord of Egypt, than like a true king of the Jews. Pharaoh, that lord of bondage, oppression, violence, and brutality. Jesus is the true king of the Jews, the new Moses who can be trusted to lead the people to freedom. In the same way, Luke's nativity overture reveals themes of the whole gospel One thing that I hope springs to mind when you see the two side by side is Luke's emphasis on women. Matthew's nativity is told through the eyes of Joseph and Herod. Luke emphasizes Mary. She receives the Annunciation, and both she and Elizabeth are filled with the Spirit and speak prophetically. Another theme that comes into this story and throughout the Gospel of Luke is his emphasis on the marginalized or the lowly. We see this in the central role that the shepherds play, the lowliest on the economic scale in that time period. And Luke's nativity introduces us to his ongoing emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. John, Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and Simeon are all filled with the Spirit. As Borg and Crossan wrote, Luke's birth narrative asks the question, who is the Son of God, Lord, Savior of the world, and the one who brings peace on earth? We have spiritualized that language, and there's nothing wrong with reading it that way, but one of the things that we forget is not the backdrop of the story. A backdrop doesn't interact with anything. It's static. But the context of the story The context of this story is the Roman Empire, and these all are titles that belonged to Caesar. Caesar is the Lord, the Son of God, the Savior of the whole world, and the bringer of peace. This is the fundamental challenge the Gospel of Luke is making. Who do you see as the Savior and bringer of peace? I'm guessing that like me, many of you really only have a vague idea about what it meant to live under the Roman Empire. I've been reading about this for a long time, and I learn new things every year. I won't try to catch us all up, except to say that in 31 BC, with the last of its civil wars, the Roman Republic ended. And shortly later, when Octavian was declared Caesar Augustus, a period of stability an expansion ensued, the so-called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And to be fair, Roman peace provided certain benefits to everybody across the wide empire who lived under it. Roads, public works, and defense against enemies from outside were all provided by being part of the Roman Empire. But the peace of Rome was peace through victory, otherwise known as peace through conquest. And the price of those Roman benefits were onerous taxes, land theft, and the siphoning off of resources. It meant oppression for the people living in the land, especially those who were not wealthy and who could not climb into the upper echelons of Roman life. The vision that Matthew and Luke in particular offer is of a savior, lord, and king, who will usher in a kingdom that brings peace, not by conquest, but through justice. Not by siphoning off all of the goods so that the elite may live well, but by providing an equal sharing of the abundance of the earth. Each of these gospels is filled with messengers, angels, and visions that give the people the information they need to claim their place in that overall narrative of peace through justice. During this advent, I encourage all of us to read each of the stories, to read the story in Matthew 1 and the story in Luke, all the way through from beginning to end. Read it several times and notice the role that the messengers play, and then allow yourself to wonder Is God still sending us messengers into this world? What powers are they calling us to follow? Can we, living in American empire with its own complicated history of establishing peace through conquest, can we find a way to commit ourselves to a realm of peace established by justice and equity? How do we live in this world and the world the gospel is calling us to. Can we like Zechariah stay silent, absorbing the message we receive? Can we like Zechariah become brave? Become messengers of peace ourselves, speaking out with power?